Welcome to the Ultra Running and Business Podcast, a random mix of running, people, performance, and business content. I'm Jakob, your host, and this is the Ultra Running and Business Podcast. Guys, a very warm welcome to the latest edition of the Ultra Running and Business Podcast. This time, very much in the latter categories, we're talking business, we're talking the day job, and we're actually talking a pre-recorded live session from the stage of Commodity Trading Week in London, held by Commodities People, no association to this company. However, Ben, who is the MD of Commodities People, invited me to chair a panel discussion of my choice. So the panel is made up of of some individuals from both Ben's and my network. Um, hope you enjoy what we put together. Keep the feedback coming, as I'm sure you will. Uh, we very much appreciate it here in the studio. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to replay a lightly edited version of the event, and I hope you enjoy what we put together. Thank you. So without any further delay, allow me to introduce you to the first panel of the day, the Great Resignation, Risks to Companies, Causes and Remedies. Welcome. Thank you very much. Guys, uh, this, this stream was originally labeled uh, Labor Risk, and, uh, and I decided uh, to expand the subject a bit, inspired by uh, an article um, I read in from uh, some of the research McKinsey have done, and it was relating to the Great Resignation, and, and broadly it's around talent attrition, talent attraction. Ultimately, what we're going to be talking about for the next uh, for the next hour or so is people in the context of the commodity markets, uh, challenges that the challenges and opportunities, emphasizing opportunities that comes on the back of uh, the pandemic era. We will be getting perspectives from um, if we start at um, to my right, uh, from Mark, uh, who's a, a chief economist for ADM Investor Services, will give us a perspective, a more of a macro level view on on challenges that we challenges and opportunities, should I say, uh, that we are facing um, with or without um, a pandemic era. Bruce will give us uh, a perspective from the ax market in Brazil. Uh, well, he's a chairman of of a uh, of a of a of a uh, an axe related venture, uh, and has also played a, a a broader role in in matters from HR to to ESG. Julie, to my right, is is running a trading floor uh, very close to here of uh, in, in the energy business, and um, known Julie for a number of years, um, and she has uh, a long career in cross-commodity trading and leadership, uh, both in, in London and the Far East, uh, and will share with us some uh, perspectives uh, from her own experiences in the post-pandemic uh, work environment. Hopefully, this session will be an opportunity to learn, uh, hence why I want to focus a little bit on learnings and, and takeaways uh, rather than merely setting out just a series of challenges, ultimately the people piece in commodities is something that I feel deeply passionate about. So uh, hopefully um, some of the our, our topics here will resonate. Guys, thank you very much for um, agreeing to join. Thank you to commodities people and Ben and his team for uh, agreeing to put on um, something relating to people and talent. Let's um, let's set the scene, um, Mark. I'd like to uh, I'd, I'd I'd like your help here. 
we're two and a bit years into this, and we refer to it as post-pandemic. Is it return, in your opinion, to business as usual? Or are there some elements here which are the same as they were before, but merely accelerated as a result of what we've gone through for the last two years? From a a chief economist point of view, how do you see it? Yeah, I think... um the, the key aspects with everything to do with the pandemic is most of the time, whether it's to do with the labor force, whether it's to do with industry, a lot of the trends are were trends which were in place already beforehand. So the demographic challenge has been outlined for years. Everyone's known it was coming. Obviously, in some areas, I, I think particularly agriculture and energy, it's been very noticeable that you've got an aging demographic amongst the workforce, and that's been in place uh, for quite some time. I think really what, what the pandemic has done, first of all, key aspect of it is all the working from home has changed people's views. A lot of people, um, this is generally rather than specific to the commodity trading area, a lot of people didn't go on furlough. What they did was what I would call operate a Hishman's hiding hand. The hiding hand is basically you get to a point where you've been operating in a certain way and you're then suddenly confronted with your own sense of impotence and you get creative. And I think for a lot of people in terms of their working life, this is the, the workforce basically decided, you know what? There are other opportunities, and it was an inspiration for a lot of people. And hence, now we've got all this reshuffling and we're trying to bring things back to where it was, but it's not. You know, we've literally thrown everything up in the air in terms of the global economy, and now we're going to see where it's going to land. The one thing one can guarantee is it's not going to land where it was. The trend is shifting, and being adapting to that is going to be the most important thing. I think for, for companies, really, the big, the big challenge is adapting to that, mm. to what the, the labor force wants now. And to a certain extent, at the corporate level, I would imagine that's going to be a little bit antithetical to their corporate culture because they want to have the control um, and yet they're actually going to have to adapt and see what people actually want. One of the three pillars of the Great Resignation is actually people's increased sense of mortality which uh, has increased during the pandemic. And, and I guess what that, what the knock-on effect there, uh, I guess, is people's tolerance to put up with perhaps corporate cultures and corporate methodologies and corporate life. Their tolerance is, is perhaps at an all-time low uh, because they've had, a, they've had an opportunity to, to step away from it. And, and, and I guess the, the, yeah, I mean, the great resignation and this is not necessarily applicable to commodities, but it's an interesting observation anyway, was that close to 40% of the current workforce is somewhat likely to resign in the next six months. Now, that is a scary percentage. If you're planning a business and you're looking at running a sustainable business, if you are doing that with a, with a, a, a shifting workforce to that degree, that's a, that's a challenge. Huge challenge. And I think the other thing that... With a lack of talent, you're also going to see, particularly in the commodity area, and this is probably more agriculture than energy, which has become, has adapted for quite some time. But, um, you're going to see there's a lot of low hanging fruit in terms of automate, automation and digitalization. So you're also going to have different type of workforce 
within that arena. Mm. And there's going to need to be a lot of adjustments made on that front. So it's, it's quite complex. And the other thing, I think in terms of the aging demographic and what you were talking about, people's mortality, obviously that aging demographic for a lot of people who are perhaps going to retire at 65, they're now basically going, well, who knows when the next pandemic comes along? Mm. Uh, I've got enough to survive. Yeah. I want to enjoy the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And they're quitting. And that creates a, a very big problem in terms of mentoring. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely challenging people's, uh, people's why. And if you're anywhere near LinkedIn, you would be bombarded with inspirational quotes on uh, the importance of your why and the importance of not being in toxic cultures and, and, and so on and so forth. So I think, yeah, I think it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting observation. We're going to come back to AGS in a moment. But I'd like to shift to energy. I'd like to shift to you, Julie. Your, the key changes for, for you and your trading floor, I mean, the, the trading floor that you're currently managing is probably about as old as the, as the pandemic. So, um, I, but I think you might have just kicked off just prior. What are the, what are the key changes that you're experiencing with, with the, uh, with the, the business now versus 2019? Yeah, actually, we, um, we started during the pandemic. So I joined, joined the company towards the end of 2020 and all the recruitment was done during the pandemic um, which is interesting in itself because that was all done on Zoom and obviously it's a lot harder to to find out a lot about people if you've not met them face to face and hard for them to find out what the company culture was like so that was a difficult start so I need to compare really what what we've got now to what I had in previous jobs before and it is mainly to do with people being in the office or not being in the office and how you how you manage that do you want people to be in the office and I think in a trading environment it's crucial that people are in the office because that's how information gets around no matter how many zoom meetings you have you're always going to hear more and learn more if people are in the office and so many people have said to me well, oh, it's a shame for all the new graduates and all the young analysts how they how these guys are going to learn. And my response to that is always, it isn't them. It isn't just them. Everyone is learning. The CEO needs to learn off the rest of the workforce. And, and I need to you know, learn off the youngsters that are coming in, mm. um, as well as them learning from you. And it's the people that are behaving in the way that, oh, I, I'm a manager. I've got 20 years of experience. or I've got 15 or 30, whatever years of experience they've got, unless they continue to learn as the industry changes, mm. they're going to go stale and it won't be obvious straight away. But there have, there have been a trend of senior traders saying, well, yeah. I just Working wanna... from home all the time, yeah. 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 I just leave me in my chalet in Verbier and the rest of you, you can go and learn off somebody which, else. Which is fine for a year, definitely. And it's probably fine for two years. But yeah. in two years, the market has changed so much. Yeah. Um, so learning is for everyone. Do you get the, do you get the, the us and them challenge in terms of culture building, people working from home versus people working in the office. I saw on LinkedIn this morning, the return of the office schmoozer um, that, you know, is that a thing? I mean, I have been lucky because from the very beginning, when I first started and I started recruiting the team, in the back of my head, I always thought, ideally, I would like the whole team to be in the office as much as possible, but I didn't want to dictate that to anybody. So I tried to think of strategies or ideas that would make it attractive for people to come in. So they come in on their own instigation, not by someone telling them. Yeah. Um, so 
because I was able to do that from the very, very beginning, from recruiting the very first person in the team. Now, the team's about 14 people now, which has grown from zero over a year. Um, I was kind of ahead of the game, but I did think about other people that have got an existing team, how much harder it would be for them. If you already had a team and they'd already started working at home all the time, then it is a lot harder to change the habits of people coming in yeah. than it is if you're building a new team and you can put the, get those habits in place immediately. So, I mean, my company's been really good. They provide things like twice a week, they bring in a, a big buffet breakfast and people, they actually want to come in for that. Um, but that on its own isn't enough. Uh, they, do, they do have nights out. And, they, and I think more importantly, especially in our industry, where there's people that generally the people in our industry they like a challenge because it is a very challenging, difficult, complex industry. Yeah. So I think making the work challenging and keeping that challenge going is more important than providing a breakfast. So the breakfast novelty will last for a few weeks in the initial phase, but then it's more about giving them really challenging work and building up a team that are very bright um, that can learn off each other and they feel like if they're not in the office they're missing out because there's lots of learning going on in that room and um, but also making it fun mm. still like to play jokes on people and talk about non-work things i wouldn't want to be one of those managers where no everyone's just quietly working not able to to say things that they would say to their friends in the room because to have mm. fun in the office yeah. keeps people in once they're in Can I, can I just uh, stick on the subject to, uh, to sort of brain drain out of big cities? Uh, just shifting to you for a moment, Mark, a macro view on that. Is that a, is that a, is that a trend that you, A, you, you see everywhere and B, would it have, would it happen? Um, I mean, that to me is a pure challenge triggered by the pandemic. Would you not agree? Uh, yes. And I think to a certain extent, it's one which will be partially enduring. Part of the reason, I think, also is that people are, are leaving the big metropolises because housing, house prices are so high. You know, this was an opportunity for people to rethink. Mm. And they're saying, why am I paying all this? You know, if it, we just reduce ourselves to the UK, you know, why am I paying so much for a house in London when I can go 100 miles away and it's a lot, lot cheaper? There, there is, I think... Uh, also, people just want uh, want something different from the workplace. And you're just wondering, one of the trends I've seen in, in quite a number of places in Europe is people moving, you know, offices becoming more, you basically use satellite offices far more than having one big office. And that for the companies actually, in a lot of cases, a lot cheaper. There's some of that space is basically a WeWork type space. Yeah. Um, which costs them a lot less. Where, where, does, where do you think that leaves the square mile? Um, uh, the square mile, I think, is, is it's going to be a case of, and it actually it's, uh, applies also across Europe and uh, North America, um, there just needs to be a great deal more flexibility and agility. And this is actually, in a certain sense, going to favour the small and medium-sized enterprises, which don't have a sort of, a greater, quite as ponderous a corporate culture. If, if you, I'm not meaning that in a negative way. All I'm saying is, if you're a big company, you have to have a bigger structure. That's a, a necessity. Um, a smaller company can basically say, well, you know, how are we going to adapt to this? And you, know, you can 
put in you know it infrastructure and everything else the the biggest challenge is just what you were saying about team building it's still the biggest challenge and i think that's the one where everyone's going to have to get a bit inventive um but also if london ends up being a collection of companies where people are working from either we work or from home we're already now seeing companies putting a bit of an asterisk on london as a location because their visa issues where historically it's been a magnet for European talent. That advantage is gone. It used to be a magnet because it had a, um, it had such a, a, a cocktail of knowledge and, 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 and a, and a close grouping of, of like-minded individuals that may not be gone, but it's changed. Or the, you, or you've got to work harder in locating those individuals. They're not necessarily located in the pubs around the square mile anymore yeah. and, uh, and, and not in the offices anymore. So from a, a, a macroeconomic point of view, that's, that's, that's quite a tough one to call, isn't it? It's, it's a very tough one because there's so much in terms of economies which are dependent on people going to offices and spending their money around their office. And that's really where the big challenge is going to be that actually we need to rethink that. And mm. We've already made that shift because people are shopping online much more. Now, it was a trend, again, another trend, which was long in motion, yeah. but it speeded it up and embedded it far more. Um, but it's then deciding what you do with the office space, what do you do with all those shop spaces. Mm. In a, a city like London, obviously, there is such a housing shortage that actually it's just a question of adaptation. But it does have a, a serious macroeconomic um, impact. And above all, in terms of labor demand, because yeah. you are going to need less of the what one would call the low-skilled uh, retail-type talent that you had before. Thank you for that. Julie, you touched on a workforce that's craving challenges and craving learning. That reminds me of, of something we discussed, Bruce, which was um, one of the, one of the uh, initiatives that your company has embarked on, which is, which is a, a, which is a more structured, collaborate, uh, collaborative version of, of, uh, of training with a, with a university. I, I thought that was a particularly interesting initiative. Could you enlighten um, us a little bit on, on, on what you embarked on and, and, uh, and, and what what payback you've seen? Where um, there's uh, uh, top universities in, in Brazil who, um, who provide leadership courses for future leaders. And so we're, we're um, working on that plan too. And then you nominate the, the, the individuals, your future leaders that you see them or your, your future or stars. Not me, um, you know, us on the, the overall top management yes, team, yes. Yeah. we're identifying middle management people to become future leaders. Okay. And, those, and, and those courses are then executed uh, virtually, I assume? Yes, yes, yeah, okay. online, okay. yeah, online. Jakob, can I interrupt here? Because I'm just thinking that there's one thing that we didn't talk about when we, when we talked the other day, which was it keeps cropping up in my head when we're talking about these ideas for retention of people. And I think that... Companies are often reluctant to invest in training or social events and these sorts of things. They all cost money. But when you think about the cost of people leaving and then having to replace them, if companies came around more to thinking about, let's have a yeah. budget for retention and, and 
direct it into the right yeah. place. It definitely, definitely it's, pays it's, off. I mean, uh, my company, like I said to you, they, they are great for thinking about ideas outside of work for, mm. for building a, a culture and building a social events for people. They have every month, they have a, a company night out that gets organized. But the other thing that they've been doing at the end of the year, and at the time I thought, this is just a ridiculous amount of money. They've given every member of staff £5,000, not, not to them, but they've allocated £5,000 per person to spend on any training that they want for the next mm-hmm. year. And I thought, that is such a lot of money to spend. But when you think about if they've got to replace these people, yeah. it's well worth it. And so I've been speaking to us. I used that as a tool. So spoke to every member of the team at their end of year review and talked about what training course they wanted to do. And brought in a lady that's a training expert that's got access to all different training courses. And um, you know, some of them don't want, they want to spend 200 pounds because it's a very easy, simple course. Mm. They're not all going spending all the money, but it just means that following later on in the year, when people have done some courses, I've said, well, you know, you're really lucky the company's giving you this perk to be able to do this training every year. Can you pay us back by organizing just a little lunchtime session with the rest of the team and telling us what you've learned from your course? So then that has another impact on creating another event that people are going to want to come and see and getting people into the office again. Well, an example, we um, surpassed our budget last year. So this is a, a man thing. We're having a fishing trip in the upper Amazon. I'll be up for the fishing trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sign me up. <laughs> waiting, waiting for that one. So, and the upper Amazon where it's, you know, fish, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 kilos and, um, you know, a fish. You know, serious fishing. Now, the ladies in the uh, in the company are trying to organize another trip. You know, I thought you were going to say you got them to cook the fish then for a minute. No, 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 no. <laughs> Thank goodness. No, no, no. no I, I'm not. <laughs> we're not chauvinists. Um, but um, but um, you know, it, it's it's part of the team building, and it's you know what we. Um, the key thing it isn't only money that holds people it's group talks it can be educational as well educational and um, it's just overall you know a family almost I took my team boxing around the corner to a boxing class it was 20 pounds each and we had a few drinks after but that was great to get the energy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, think, I mean, I those, are, those are the kind of things yeah. which build oh, teams. I've been talking about it for ages. It's great. <laughs> I think. I think going back to some of the uh, some of the comments in the in the report I read was was broadly around the transactional approach versus the uh, approach that that promotes engagement and reestablishing those relational ties that people have with their companies. And that is not achieved by money. It's, um, in fact, there is, there is tangible evidence that if you start throwing money at people, they feel, they feel like a transaction. All of what you've just heard from, from, from Bruce and, and Julie about these, these initiatives, the big fish and, and the, um, the, the events that you host, uh, Julie, are 
all about creating or, or revamping those relational ties between key people and the company and between individuals and the company. And I think the common denominator with these things is that if, if they, if, if people genuinely feel that you've gone out of your way, you've thought something through, it's always felt. And a bonus check, however useful that may be, doesn't make you feel like that. It doesn't, it doesn't indicate that there's been a lot of thought about what are we, what, what, what's important for this group of people. And there's been no creativity. Whereas what, you know, there's, there's, there's lots of reactions to the creativity that you've shown, Julie, amongst your team. And I think a lot of it is, is highly achievable also through playing to people's desire for knowledge, desire to become better. Desire to, to find that je ne sais quoi between them and their colleagues. Mark, you have a comment. Yeah. Um, I'm just struck always by, we talk about talent retention. Um, and a lot of the time, you know, if you actually look at a lot of companies, particularly larger ones, they put out, out everything to consultancies. I've got an example from the EBRD where one of the things that they do in terms of retaining the knowledge base that the older staff have to pass on to the existing staff is they, once they retire and they have a mandatory retirement age, they keep them on as consultants. And that way you're preserving that knowledge base. You prevent, you're also allowing people to train, uh, you know, allowing them to train and you're not spending, uh, you're not wasting a lot of time as well, because if you farm out to a consultant, you spend hours and hours explaining to you, this is the way the company works. And even then, they probably don't understand it nearly as well as someone who's recently retired from the company, who also has that ability to pass that on. And then there's the other trend, which I think is a very interesting one of reverse mentoring. How do we reverse mentoring basically is looking at the younger generation who have different ideas about you know, how something is done. And, you know, it's that old principle of what we've come into in, in the um, internet age of, oh, I can do that for nothing, which the older generation probably doesn't quite see because they've not been brought up in that culture. But they're both, so, so there's learning for the older generation and there's learning for the young generation. And above all, there's a lot of interaction. Yeah. That, that actually it brings me to another point, which is around the challenges for, for, for leadership. When the current leaders are mostly are from a pre-hybrid, pre-remote working, um, that's where they've spent their entire career. That's, that's, that's you, Julie. And now having to maybe let, let's, let, let's just assume that you had a more, I, I, th- I think you've achieved to get people back in the office. Not by force, but by creating a platform of attraction, something one, somebody, you know, one wants to be part of. But you've also made it clear to me that everyone has a choice. So you've managed to create a situation where you've got some critical mass and that in itself brings in people because they, 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 they want some of that secret source and knowledge and, 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 and whatnot. But ultimately you could have ended up in a situation where you had half and half or even less. Yeah. And it's, and it's on people like you who are coming from, um, you've honed your leadership skills in a normalized world. And now you said, okay, now you've got to make it work in a, in a virtual world. As far as I can see, as a lot of these challenges are, are about is drawing on, on a leadership tool bag that the traditional leader may not actually have. So going back to training, I think you might be more of a, 
as you said, you you admitted, you said, I'll make it up as I go along, Jakob. I don't have a, I don't have a strategy. <laughs> I think that is the case um, and good for you. But for somebody who's not making up as I go along, yeah. got 20 years of running a business and then bang, come 2020, it's all changing. And now come 2022 and it's back on them saying, right, okay, just continue where you left off. What, what do you see as a, as a necessary step that companies need to do to assist and support those leaders? If I had to say one thing that one piece of advice that I would give to the person that was in that position, say like those examples that you've given, or if you've inherited a team or moved to a new company with a team that maybe are not coming in. And in fact, for any problem or issue that you have in the team, the one thing to do is the communication. And I don't just mean having a big team meeting and making an announcement every week or even every day. I mean, actual one-to-one talking Mm. to everybody everybody in your team, everybody, obviously it takes a long time, but as many people as you can talk to -to one-to-one and actually ask questions, ask them what makes them tick, what they like, what they don't like. Any sort of conversation like that, you're learning every single person that you speak to because I had this issue recently where I, like I said, I was lucky. I was ahead of the game and started bringing people into the office straight away. But I had a friend who I could see was struggling. Now, he hadn't managed a team before and he ended up with a team, only a small team of about four people, but no one was coming into the office and he was really struggling with knowing what to do. And I said to him, do you want to just go for coffee and we'll talk about it? And I gave it a lot of thought because I thought, what's he going to do? Because they're just not coming in. And the only thing I can suggest is talking to each individual person. Yeah, you can put in place all those other things later on. But getting to the bottom of what they're thinking, what they're wanting. And by doing that, then you can put your perspective forward to get them to see that in the long run, that's not going to be beneficial for them. But you can't go and tell them, it's don't stay at home, it's not beneficial for you because that's not going to work. You need to ask the questions. And I've read the last couple of weeks I've spent, which is really one benefit of the Zoom and the Teams. It's really good to have a one-to-one over a coffee, but actually... The Zoom calls, which are one-to-one, there's nowhere for you to hide. You've got that person right in front of you. And I've actually found going through my team's individual targets with each person on a Zoom call rather than sitting having a coffee has worked really well because there's no distractions at home. Um, That person's face is right in front of you. And you really feel, I felt like I've really got to know people from using that as a tool. Mm. So leadership very much as a, as a um, rather than treat them as a group, but use your, use your time on the, um, on, mm. on individual consultations. Yeah. I think oh, sometimes a lot of managers can be, I think, I think some people are afraid of talking to people one by one. I remember once I was at a big company and I had built up a, a, a big team from a lot of them from brand new graduates. And there was a board member that was in, in, in the same office as us that I knew quite well. And I remember some of my team were hitting the milestone where they'd been in the company for 10 years. And I thought, what a great opportunity. Why doesn't that guy come over and say, shake the guy's hand and say, Paul or James or whoever, you know, well done for being here for 10 years. It would have took two minutes and it never got, never got done. And I was furious that that didn't happen. And I thought, if that was me, it's a chance to prove that you know the name of that person and just spend a couple of minutes. And by doing that, the amount of effect that would have on that person mm. um, is, is big because yeah. they appreciate the small things like that, that you've actually took your time to talk to them. And it sounds really silly and simple, mm. but it's, it, it means a lot to people. I, I um, not now, but previously I worked at a 
company in Brazil where your five year, your 10 year, your 15 year, or every five years, you were presented with a pin or something, and the president of the company would come down and present it to the person. And that really made the people feel special. It doesn't even need to be a gift because actually what no, they no, did... No, no, well, let's say a gift. Well, it was just a little pin. They did in yeah. the company. After I went so crazy that no one was acknowledged that they'd been there for 10 years or 15 years, they said, oh, we're introduced in a new scheme where you can spend £50 on a gift and you can give the person a gift. I don't think they want a bottle of wine and a gift. They just want the person to spend one minute saying, mm. I know your name. Yeah. Thank you so much for being yeah. here for 10 years. I know, but the thing was, the president would come down and award the pin. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Yeah. that no, made them... No, I think that is really yeah. good. Mm. But it is more the time taken for him to come down rather than exactly. giving him the gift that mm. is important to people. Yeah. I just want to ask a final question before we open up to the room. I think we've got, we've got a few minutes. Um, some of these changes seem to be um, favoring the agile small company. Where does that leave the kind of super tanker equivalent um, corporations? Mark, do you want to comment on that? Um, well, it leaves them obviously needing to think, re rethink all, all of their policies and their corporate culture. I mean, it, it is a challenge to those corporate cultures and you know, adaptability, agility and flexibility are probably all the watchwords that we need right now. And it is, it's going to be a case of sink or swim. If people don't adapt, the larger companies are going to find their, their workforces, you know, there's going to be attrition. And you know, with time, they will basically be forced into adapting. You know, it's a, it's a classic case of that. Um, so I, th I think, I think what, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm seeing, I think the, the, the smaller companies, they will have the advantage in having a Julie on board, uh, driving a lot of things just, just from, your, from your own kind of intuition of what, what, what should happen. You know, that's not something that, that, um, that the CEO is telling you to do. I think it's, it's something that comes quite natural. I think where the bigger companies have an advantage is that they've got the resources to actually appoint a task force, you know, and populate that task force with the right knowledge and the remit to drive change. So yes, they might have a, they might have to operate a super tanker where Julie can make a change from this coming Monday and it will probably be felt by end of next week. You know, the, the bigger companies don't have that advantage. But then they, they must use the advantages where they have, and 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 that's that's probably one of of resourcing. And yeah, and I have I had on a on a previous discussion also with with uh, with commodities people. I think we had an opportunity to to hear from somebody from uh, EDF Energy who was part of such task force. And it is it is quite interesting those individuals that are working on the challenge of what should tomorrow's workplace and work style look like. But it is a little, you know, it's, it's, it sometimes can also seem a little far removed. Okay. Well, I think we've, we've, we've nicely uh, come around a, 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 a few, a few items. I'm very open to a question from the room. Otherwise I will fill the rest of the time. I can't see everybody here. Okay. Um, we've touched a little bit on, on empathetic leadership or leadership in general. I've just added the word empathetic because I think it's about, it's about uh, leaning in to, each and every individual that you have, however time consuming that might be, but also hugely demanding, I think, on, on leaders today for whom it doesn't come as natural as it comes to Julie, because I don't think that these skills are 
necessarily covered particularly well in your standard kind of business school curriculum because it's about it's about making those calls on a on a human level because if you didn't feel it and you came and asked me how are you and you're not around to listen to the answer or it somehow feels disingenuous or it somehow feels like it's a tick box exercise it will have the exact opposite effect so i think i think it's a, i think there is an enormous challenge for 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 leaders um in coming out of this uh in a in a smart way but also an enormous opportunity. I think it's I think it's a catalyst for 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 some changes that were probably happening anyway. But uh, I think I think Mark, you were you were referring to the the, the gas pedal on on a, on, a, on a few things. So so this was this was happening anyway. Yeah, pretty much everything that's happening at the moment was work in progress. Yeah, um, a lot of it was quite nascent, but suddenly someone put a bit of fuel injection into the whole process and yeah. um, it's been accelerated. And that's why there is a lot of change happening and it is being a, more adaptable to that change uh, because that's the reality of the new environment that we're going to be in. That's it for this week. This was the Auto Running and Business Podcast. I hope to see you back next week for more randoms around running, people, performance, and business content. I'm Jakob, your host, and this was the Auto Running and Business Podcast. For more information about everything that goes on here in this business, you may want to follow me on LinkedIn. For anything that goes on in my world on the trails and in ultra running, you may want to jump onto Instagram and follow the Danish Ultra Runner. Thank you again. Bye-bye.